Welcome once again to Room of Requirement, episode 18. Yeah, uh, a podcast for soul care and strategy in the time of Trump. You know, I want to I wanna actually revise that. Okay. I think soul care is too fussy. All right, we're back, we're back away, backing away from I soul care. I feel we started out with <laughs> resistance and like self-care, and yeah. both those terms are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, it's an upgrade to soul care, but I want to, I don't know, I want yeah, something you're else. You're done with the soul. You know, I'm I, done with the soul. We talked about religion last week. Yeah, I'm done with soul care. <laughs> I want to be like um, correspondents from the ever-shrinking center left. That's what I want to be. Dispatches. Dispatches, Dispatches from, from the, the ever-shrinking center, center left. left. Yes, exactly. I, I don't consider myself center left, but I'm willing to be the receiver of your dispatch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. I just shrunk by half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kamalesh is the only one left. <laughs> you are the center Kamalesh, left. Kamalesh, Rao, and Hillary Clinton. That's all, that's all that is left at the center left. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm more center left than I used to be yeah. as a result of the last election cycle. Yeah. So I'm, I'm coming closer to the center. So what I'm hearing is that it's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, we still, we're going to workshop this. We still this. have no tagline. <laughs> we have no tagline. It's all right. Um, I'm one of your co-hosts, Kamala Rao, and with me is... Miracle Jones. And today we are joined by... Jason Laney. Jason Laney, a longtime friend uh, from Texas. It's true. Uh, a Delashian, not a Houstonite. Which makes him a little bit Delashin. That's that the right? <laughs> I've never heard that term before. I kind of hope that that is a, a term that Delashins have taken upon themselves since I left. Dallasite. I, I would. <laughs> I prefer Delation. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie to you. Dallasite, really? Oh, that's terrible. That's not terrible. good at all. Have you ever heard anybody call themselves a Dallasite? I would. That's probably terrible people. Yeah. If I've heard anybody re- refer to themselves. Dallasite, they were. I would have guessed it was Dallasite. Yeah, probably. I mean, but Delash it is terrible place. Really good, right? yeah, I agree. Delashin totally sounds agree. like a breed. <laughs> it does a little bit. It's, it's like a combination of a, a Dalmatian, Dalmatian and a Shichu or something uh, it's like definitely that. Definitely, it's a, a Dalmatian meets an Alsatian. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what somebody from Dallas is like. <laughs> a musician and of most recently of the uh, sim- growing in popularity, uh, blowing up band Mad Meg, uh, and you just got back from touring in Russia. That's true. He's there for a little under three weeks, building bridges, learning learning the culture, <laughs> bringing us together. And you're a keyboard player, and you have your own original shit too, right? I do. You can find out all about me at jasonscottlaney.com. <laughs> so I, we're all we're going to dig into politics a yeah, bit, yeah. but usually we like to start the podcast after introductions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about how our week went, like just making yeah, yeah. sure, just checking in. So, Miracle Jones, how have you been? Uh, not bad, just like working a bunch. I finished a book this week, or doing the proofs for it, so I'm glad to have that off my plate. So that's going to come out in the next few weeks. That's the sequel to an earlier book I wrote, so... Happy about being done with that, but I'm working on the third one, so it's still not completely out of my out of my brain. But yeah. which which you've been doing for years now. Yeah, it's just, like just you know, just for the record. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm happy happy about being done with it. So that's gonna be launched, and I'm it's it's a way off, but it's wow. also like an emptiness. Like okay, this is <laughs> out there. It's well, how are you gonna take advantage it. of the summer? Uh, I'm just gonna write. I mean, still got other books to write. Kind of, it's just like an old book. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, but it does feel good. So it's it's a charge. Like it kind of lifts me up and makes me feel like, you know, I've I don't have writer's block per se, but I have like I have like publishing spite, where I've written a lot of books that I just don't show anybody, and a lot of stories that I just get like like what does it even matter? And so it it takes a lot for me to push my own work. 
how's that? Like, that's to, makes sense, to yeah. put it out there because I just I don't necessarily feel like people give a shit and they don't. So mm-hmm. it's like hard to you know like it's hard to cross that bridge over into like making people read stuff or like advocating for my own work. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but my sister is actually a. An aspirant writer. Oh, I yeah. Know that. So she yeah. broke with the family guild. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is that why you have such contempt for uh, writers? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, people who can't do math. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes clear. Uh, uh, but yeah, she's in the same boat. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's she's, difficult. It's, it's really difficult yeah. to kind of put yourself out there. Yeah. Um, I will have a parallel story, but kind of in my own way. I just got word back that I didn't get a job that I tried out for that I was pretty sure I got. I, oh, I thought no. I nailed it. And I was like, oh, this is heartbreaking. And I feel it's my sympathy because I've been going through interviews and I haven't really landed any job that I really like. I have a sympathy for all the people, actors, which is a group of people I don't have any sympathy <laughs> for. Like today. Yeah. Like this day. You yeah. Have sympathy for yeah it's, it's in these moments that I have sympathy for actors because their whole life is it's, going up for rejection. Yeah. I can understand why they're crazy. I mean, it's just hard, and, like, really been thinking about, like, as soon as I got the rejection, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a bad day for me. How am I going to, like, adjust? How am I going to, like, have to get out and talk to people and just shoot the shit socially? But, yeah, just putting yourself out there, and even in the most, I do it in a very, like, corporate, stodgy way. It's still kind of a rough ride. Well, it sucks. Like, I'm sorry you didn't get the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I mean, yeah. it's clear. Like, I'd hire you an instant to do really anything, except maybe, like, I don't know. Paint. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Terrible. No, no, no. They've got new brush technology and anybody can do yeah, it. Yeah. I, even, I can even see you writing like pretty good fiction, but I, I just don't I don't see you drawing too much. Yeah. No, my, um, my mom was kind of the failed artist of the family yeah. and so like every t- she would sit us down for arts and crafts days and like every time I tried to draw something it was just it was just a complete and total utter disappointment. She's like, you're not carrying on my legacy, are you? <laughs> no, I didn't know your mom was an artist. Like, yeah. it's, it's all coming at your dad, your mom, your dad, your, this is why you're the way you are. <laughs> yeah. There's so much, like, artist in you that you've, like, suppressed and, like... Yes, you, you, yes, like, yes, that's how you put food on the table. You suppress <laughs> the food. Yes. Correct, yeah. sir. Correct, correct. By the way, Jason, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I just got back on Tuesday from a rather successful tour in Russia, and uh, I'm leaving the country again this weekend to uh, for a little family vacation, so I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm, I've just been on vacation for the last wow. several days. That's it's amazing, and do you feel... Rad. Do you feel like being away from New York is vacation, or do you also are you happy to come back? Or oh, I was thrilled to come. Back. I mean, yeah. it's, it, for that tour, we were literally playing every single day with occasional like radio yeah. stuff in the uh, morning or early afternoon. It, it was, I mean, it was a lot of fun for sure. But it it was the, as close as I've been to like a regular day job for a really yeah. long time. So it's definitely nice to like be back here and and also not just be back here, but also because of my scheduling right now to not have like something immediately on my plate yeah. that I need to be cuz there's as a musician don't tell anybody uh as a musician we got a lot of free time especially during the day <laughs> yeah uh but there's always something that needs to be like there's practicing that needs to be done for that next show or I need to be wrangling musicians for rehearsals or whatever to not even have that stuff to do is a little nice for a short period of time you go a little stir crazy after a little bit but what was Russia? What was Putin's Russia like? I mean, I can't compare it to anybody else's Russia. <laughs> I've only been to Putin's Russia, but uh, 
it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not a first world country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No offense. St. Petersburg is way nicer than Moscow. If yeah. you're going to vacation it's in Russia... It's literally a second world country, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> is it, though? Is it, it was. Is yeah, it I else? guess that's true. Is it now a third world country? I think, I think it's one of those countries they're considering emerging, but, you know, in the sense that it will be emerging forever. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Emerging into one. Exactly. A beautiful firebird. Hey! Catalyst yeah. yeah, yeah. Oil could make a big comeback. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the first world meant... The West, Second World Met, Soviet Union. Uh, yeah, and the Third World was, was the rest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, 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 it's yeah. definitely not fully on the high-developed country scale. They still don't have, like, clean drinking water in their major cities, and uh, the Internet is crap, man. Did I ever tell you I actually went to Russia on a sister cities exchange? No. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. It's a great story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, so I went actually when I was in high school, so this is 1992. So it was right after the fall of every... It was sort of the collapse of the mm-hmm. system, and it was really in transition, and we had this long-standing uh, exchange program with my high school um, where they would send, you know, naive Americans to go and be goodwill ambassadors, um, uh-huh. and then they would send Russians back. Um, or, I'm sorry, to Soviets, manipulate Soviets. to Soviets. manipulate yeah. the class electoral yeah. process. <laughs> um, and it was just a, it was uh, it was a really interesting experience. Like, where, where in Russia did you go? Uh, so we were in Moscow, and then we went to Kostroma. Okay. So. Um, uh, that's our. That was our. I'm from Durham, North Carolina. So that was our sister city. Oh, okay. And so we went back, and so that every year they would send people over either for a few weeks uh, during the summer, or maybe even I think maybe some people stayed for a semester, and then it was just like it was a lovely exchange for most part, and then and then I and my cohort got there, and then we just you know <laughs> we ran a while. Did, did you engage in any low-level smuggling operations, Kamalash? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I did. <laughs> so, uh, in my defense, I was 15 or 16 or something like that. But what happened was I had I had been to the third world. Uh, I had traveled to India. And so I think of traveling to the third world as you bring goods uh, you bring goods they want and you, and you exchange it for goods they uh, sure. you want. A good future economist. <laughs> yeah, I, I, or just a cheap Indian. Sure. Either way. Um, so I had heard and I did my research and I was like, well, apparently uh, at this time what was really hot in the Soviet Union um, or the and now Russia was uh, blue jeans, black T-shirts, and cigarettes. So I and I drove around Durham until I found a person who would find who would buy me cigarettes, which was not that hard. It was Durham, North Carolina, sure. <laughs> <laughs> basically the factory. Um, <laughs> it was anybody. Yeah, I was could you just go out to the right? It was literally the circle K. Right, right. <laughs> it was literally my dad. Yeah. So, uh, I think I packed a suitcase full of, or two of, um, of contraband, <laughs> <laughs> and that was what I carried with me. And so every time, uh, every time I got a chance, I would try. We would go to like the local like um, uh, market, or we would like exchange. Like we would start talking to like our like hotel like lobby people or whatever, and we would just try to do a deal. And, you know, for 16-year-olds who didn't speak the language, it was probably a stupid idea. And at some point, we had to stash our goods and, like, run from the cops. But uh, that's how we decided to enjoy the class of the Soviet Union. In a, in a correct, classic way. Like, uh, uh, it's yeah. not... I understand it was horribly corrupt and capitalist. Um, but at the time, it was literally what I thought you did when you went <laughs> well, to the third world. Because this is what you did uh, when you went to India. <laughs> um, did, you get, did you get anything good in return? So what I what I traded for was, like, all this, like, Russian, like, that's what I wanted, like, Russian military gear. So yeah, I had, like, yeah. these huge, two, and I don't remember exactly what happened, but, like, I had, like, like military boots and, like like, old, like, Soviet coats and stuff like that. Um, and that's what I wanted. So that's what I got. <laughs> that's I got crazy. a Russian. Uh, 
I was pretty excited to get to bribe a government official while mm. I was in Russia this last time. Oh, who'd you bribe? Uh, so, uh, in uh, in Russia, if you're there for longer than seven business days, yeah. you have to, like, register with the government. If you're not staying at a hotel, if you stay with a hotel, they do all this for you. But if you're not staying at a hotel, you have to go with the person who you're staying with and fill out a bunch of paperwork. I didn't have... I just watched Ilya do all this because I don't speak any Russian whatsoever. Um... One of the things that you have to do is literally take a photocopy of every single page of your passport. And they have a little machine that you can do it at for 15 cents a page. Give or, or no, 15, 15 rubles a page, which is a bit pennies. <laughs> but one of the security guards comes up to us before we start this process and he goes, I'll do it. For ten rubles, <laughs> and took all of our passports, and then just as clear as day, just went to the photocopier behind the receptionist desk, took the photocopies of all of our passports, then came back around the corner, handed us all of our paperwork, and we, and he even like gave us change, like, oh, I've only got two hundred rubles, and was, oh, yeah, and here's, he didn't even shake us down for that extra fifty rubles. Good bribe, good bribe. Yeah, yeah good I, was pretty, I was pretty excited about yeah. it. You were, tell, you were saying something interesting about the cameras and, and the traffic uh, there. Oh, yeah. In order to stop people from bribing the police, almost all traffic enforcement is done through cameras now. Oh, wow. Instead of actual like traffic stops. There's a really good article in, in New York Magazine uh, a couple months ago about Russia. And uh, it was just about... The, the article starts with an anecdote about there's an ambulance... It's like a heavy traffic kind of morning. Mm. There's an ambulance trying to get through, and nobody's letting the ambulance by. And the guy just talks about how, like, everybody just assumes now that ambulances are just, like, oligarchs. <laughs> like, so no one stops for ambulances now. I will, I, I will also say Moscow, hands down, worst traffic I have ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. Like, literally take an hour to go two miles. Like, you could get out and walk faster. If you didn't have to, like, carry your music That's or something stuff. Yeah, it was out of control. Do you want to talk about politics? Yeah, let's, let's talk about politics. It's interesting. So you you would describe yourself as center-left, Camus, right? Like, is that... Uh, yeah, I'm pretty proudly center-left. I, before we started, I described myself haughtily as a Fabian. Which, which is I, a nonsense term. Which I stand by. But it, I'm a socialist. Which I still don't really know what well, that means. I'm a socialist, but H.G. Wells kind of socialist, which is... That. I think the last Fabians were the Arab dictators, right? Like yeah, Bath Party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, it, yes, it's not a it's not a happy thing to be. But right. the, the I don't know they were modernizing. They were the, they were pro the Arab man. Sure. The principles of the Fabian Party are, are uh, non-existent. It's not true. You understand stuff like the the new H. G. Wells wrote a book called The New World Order, right? And it's about like, sounds ominous. Yeah, it's awesomely <laughs> ominous, and it's about like the world slowly moving toward a form of socialism that's adopted by everyone, just because it's like rational and solves a lot of problems, right? Like it's not imposed by anybody. It's, as things become technologically lifted away from the market, we they, have to. Make yeah, they change. become like they just become socialized, and sure. they become like more egalitarian and equitable, right? Uh, a science fiction writer, for sure, but who is also fundamental in this book and through other books in the UN Declaration of Human Rights. He, he wrote the sort of like first essay that became, uh, it's called The Rights of Man, uh, that became the, the template for the UN Declaration of Human Rights. And it was all about like one world government being one of the only things that can prevent uh, global war, which, of which he lived through too. 
so I don't know that. So and and as an I would consider myself an HUL socialist, mm-hmm. uh, which would make me in some ways a, a Fabian. Okay. I, I just want to uh, point out that, as far as I know, the Fabian Party has not existed in the Western world for nigh on a hundred years. Not yet. So that it's okay. Good hundred years. Second, this is the uh, at least the second time I've heard Miracle Jones refer to his political beliefs by akinning it either to a sci-fi writer or a sci-fi novel because you called yourself a Star Trek or a Gene Roddenberry liberal as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're not the two. Hey, that sounds similar. very similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would say Gene Roddenberry was also a huge proponent of H.G. Wells style socialism. Okay. Probably got it from H.G. Wells. Okay. I would not be surprised. And a Texan as well. I'm, I guess we're curious about where you would see yourself on in today's political world. Me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, so as... Miracle Jones knows, but maybe not Kamalesh. I at one point in time I organized for the International Socialist Organization. I was a hardcore leftist. I didn't even vote for Obama the first time. That's how committed I was to the two parties being the same. If I remember correctly, you voted for Ralph Nader twice. I just didn't vote in that election. I only voted for Ralph Nader once and it was in the one where he was actually trying to run in the two thousand one. I thought you voted. I think you said you voted for him in the 2004 election as well, against instead of Kerry. Oh, you know what? I think I did write him in. <laughs> I'm n- no shit. No. Yeah. Shit. No. 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 I understand. I'm just, I'm just trying to remember my electoral yeah, yeah. experience. I mean, I just was never somebody that had a particularly large amount of faith in the two-party system, yeah. the electoral process in general. These days, I typically call myself a Marxist without all of the extra crap. Like, any organization that you're a part of is a Marxist-Leninist, Marxist-Trotskyist, Marxist-Maoist, Stalinist, whatever. Yeah. I don't like any of those people, but I do very much agree with the criticism of capitalism that Marx lays forward as a result of technology increasing productivity uh, and alienating more and more of the workforce, that these are ideas that we're going to have to give serious consideration to that something like a universal basic income might become necessary is there's less work for people to do. Yeah, or just like certain things have become already socialized. Sure. Just like fold into the fabric of society, like roads or, you know, like uh, libraries. But for the record, I no longer advocate for, like, violent revolution <laughs> overthrow of the government. That's good. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> well, I kind of wanted to uh, start today and talk a little bit about kind of broad topics that we yeah. kind of miss. And, like, uh, there was just a lot of noise last week. And so, yeah. uh, as is always true with this administration, there's just a lot of noise distracting you uh, from sort of fundamental issues For sure. uh, and politics. Um, so one of the topics that we haven't talked about, and it, it has come up, is terrorism. Mm-hmm. And we've never just sat down and talked about terrorism. Yeah. Um, and I guess I want to, uh, obviously I will have sort of thoughts um, as to what causes it, but like, do we have any thoughts about what works and what doesn't in terms of trying to address it, right? I think uh, the left, as is typical of the left, often has a sort of a mealy mouth incoherent uh, set of solutions, um, but I don't know. Whereas the right is clear and wrong, but... Um, yeah. uh, so I thought I'd just start out the discussion and start talking a little bit about terrorism. For me, I, I think there's also, like, a really important distinction between state-sponsored terrorism and ideology-sponsored uh, terrorism. The solution to Iran's funding of Hamas and Hezbollah and organizations like that is probably a different set of solutions than the solution that stops, like, the exportation of Wahhabist 
a yeah. fundamentalist Islam that has proven to be so devastating to that region or the world. I don't know what any of these solutions are. The most organized Western terrorism that I can think of offhand was like the IRA and Sinn Féin during the, the troubles between yeah. England and Ireland. And while there were definitely elements of religious ideology in that for the most part it was it had like a government face and it had specific political goals whereas what are isis's specific political goals i mean i don't know like catholics and protestants have been killing each other for, for sure yeah. for sure i mean <laughs> you don't say that you totally divorce it but i do think that it's it needs to be looked at through a separate lens in order to appropriately address it yeah that's true yeah i'd, I'd go a little further i'd say um there are probably three or four types of of violence that fall under terrorism, right? Like, I think Jason's totally right. So you have sort of the state sponsor. We actually talked a little bit yeah. about this the, and the difference between, say, uh, <laughs> what terrorism under the umbrella of, of Iranian backing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As opposed to what happened, what sort of <clears throat> spills out of the Saudi culture, right? Yeah. Which is like, is, is more of a cultural conservatism that tends to breed... Uh, very low-level activism that can be uh, puritanical uh, and can have uh, really violent outbreaks. I also think that groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS also do they do reach out to other parts of the world. So there are sort of splinter cells or, mm. or there are plants like the people who, uh, who were behind the September 11th attacks were definitely like cells. Um, but then I think they're just people who are the quote-unquote lone wolf attacks who mm. people who are inspired who just whose whole interaction with these organizations is they read a website mm. and then they decide to get organized by themselves or they decide to even do less which is just like i'm going to grab a gun and start shooting people and yell a couple of things i read on the website so there are at least three or four or maybe five levels of quote-unquote terrorism and i think they all deserve to be addressed that you just need different approaches because once you start to use the label of terrorism, it, one, it justifies perpetual war mm. overseas, which may or may not be addressing what's really happening, what threatens the U.S. homeland, yeah. and also the West in general. Right. I mean, you need to know if it's terrorism, in which case there's no word for just a de- deranged... Per- there's asymmetrical warfare, which is what I would consider state-sponsored terrorism. Mm. Right? It's like war by another means, right? Yeah. Carried out under the guise of like civilian... Disguise, but yeah. it's not actually civilians perpetrating yeah. it, right? Then there's like this cultural terrorism where people want to cons- be acting on behalf of some imaginary state that doesn't exist yet, yeah. right? Uh, then there's then there's just crazy people, yep. right? Dedicating their acts of insanity to something, uh, and that that organization may take credit for them or they may not, right? Right, and that yeah. should have a different word, right? yeah, because for that sure. isn't because calling that yeah, terrorism, yeah, calling that terrorism makes it. Uh, legitimate in a way that causes and, more of it to happen. And also, certainly, like, there's also the historical precedent in the media to specifically, yeah. if you claim as your ideological reason for being a lone gunman or something, yeah. as Islam, you are a terrorist, but if you're a white dude that makes some, like, that's not considered terrorism. We do actually look at that through the separate lens of he's a crazy person, let's yeah. analyze gun control laws, let's analyze mental health. Uh, or the way we treat mental health issues in the country. Right. You know, and, and when Dylan Roof did what he did, that yeah. guy wasn't considered a terrorist, but if he had been Islam or he'd been a Muslim, it definitely I would think have been. I think the media backed into calling Dylan Roof, who was the guy who shot what was it? 
Nine people, I Nine think. Nine people yeah. in a church in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I think they backed into calling him a terrorist. So now he's labeled as a terrorist, but I think there was initially when it was being reported. Not at first, no. Yeah, for not sure. at first. But I agree with you, Jason. I, when we talk about it again, I mean, I think the labels really matter. And I think there's something about wanting to label something terrorist, an act of terrorism, because I think it effectively it draws in eyeballs. It, there's sort of a low barrier to mm-hmm. entry when you call it, when, if someone's just calls themselves such and such, um, they're terrorists because that will draw in eyeballs to your mm-hmm. site or whatever. So there's a there's no real reason not to call something terrorist if we can get away with it. Right? Yeah, I mean, terrorism in my mind is just a, a to my mind is just a, a natural result of the fact that we have nuclear weapons now. This mm-hmm. is the way that you you know attempt mm-hmm. to use political violence in a in a world where you can't take territory, right? You still so, want goals. You still have goals that you want to achieve, but you maybe, can't uh, invade and, and conquer land, right? Well, so, I, I, I don't. Sorry, go ahead. Oh uh, uh, well, I was just gonna say I, I I'll disagree with you, but I'll agree that I think when we talk about terrorism, we should define it as something with a political end. Yeah. Right. It's violence undertaken for a political end. Yeah, That's yeah. why I think people like the recent strikes in in London, especially the last ones where there were there were what three or five casualties, mm-hmm. where someone just basically uh, used a knife or yeah, drove a, yeah. a car. That to me doesn't strike as terrorism. It is a is an incident of tragic mass murder, maybe. Yeah. But like that's not terrorism because there's no political end. But sorry, Jason, I cut you off. Oh, uh, uh, I mean, going uh, continuing with your point. Uh, to me, terrorism you have to be tied to a larger organization. It, I, it's really troublesome. Or you have to consider yourself the legitimate actual organization. Yes. Like right-wing terrorism, they think they are the, they think they are the legitimate American government. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and you know, they think any the, the actual American government is like some, in some paranoid world, they're like, uh, you're acting on behalf of an imaginary American government. Your political ends are to put a different face on the government. In, internally, right? Yeah, I just want to get back to a point you were saying. I think, you know, terrorism, sort of uh, going back to a notion of asymmetric warfare, um, I mean, terrorism sort of does, I mean, it does coincide with uh, an era of nuclear war, but there was certainly terrorism before that, right? I mean, we have a great era of anarchists. We effectively tumble into World War One because of a terrorist, right? Like, it's an assassination. Um, so it's been around for a while, even when we can't necessarily... Sure, the Romans had terrorists. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just... Uh, Jewish this, this was the point that I was trying to remember earlier. Yeah. It's not specifically because of nuclear weapons, but just the level of military inequality, that there are groups and countries and organizations that don't have the military capability of actually doing anything about a particular regime, so they choose these asymmetric options that are really the only options that they have. Because what do you do against F-15s and aircraft carriers and destroyers off of your coast, other than pick soft civilian targets and... yes. The question is like what to, what is to be done about it? Right. I wanted to point out. So one of the other thing about it is that uh, the societies that they're attacking, the Western society, is yeah. also very vulnerable, like we mentioned, to calling anything terrorism. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, it's very sensitive to this issue. So like, in some ways, you can attack uh, a country in a small way. You can kill a few people and then get way overblown coverage. Sure. And that not only affects that society, but I think it also affects whatever audience the terrorists are trying to play to because we live in a global media yeah. um, mm-hmm. environment and I think that's also one of the things that is continuing to gin up 
uh, the level of activity around terrorism. So it's it's not about it's not just about military disparities, but I think it is the global media uh, um, environment that we live in, both on the side of the U.S., which is totally susceptible to things, but also um, to whatever communities the terrorisms are trying to play to. I mean, it certainly doesn't help that especially in the U.S., but increasingly in countries all over Europe, that there's also a side of of politics that specifically benefits off of making these terrorist attacks as big of a deal as humanly possible. Oh, fear peddlers. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And the Trump administration is the worst iteration of this, and certainly in my history, and I've lived through the Bush years too, and they they were pretty quick to cynically use fear in order to drum up support for whatever military conflict they wanted to be involved yeah, in. And I- but now, it, I mean, we see it in Europe, too, people like Marine Le Pen. And, and it's, I think it's a little beyond both right or left, because I think uh, an organization that would call itself either center-left or center-like, uh, CNN, mm. t- makes mu- bank oh, off, sure. of, off of completely spinning up these stories. Oh, for sure. You know, I was there's a pretty good AEI podcast um, that was talking about lone wolf actors yeah. and how, because of this uh, sort of sweeping definition of terrorism... You don't really. We're not really equipped to handle any sort of strategy against it. And one of the ways that we can effectively deal with certain types of attacks is to effectively ignore them. One of the yeah. worst things we do is give it as much media yeah. coverage because that's the asymmetry here. Is that terrorisms can make a huge impact not on the society but on the media. Sure. Yeah, people need to be honest about their feelings with respect to these attacks, right? Mm-hmm. People will lie like fucking rugs about this shit in order for like social gain right? yeah like when attacks happen do you honestly say oh shit my life is in peril now right yeah. do you honestly say oh my god the people in that country i love them so much <laughs> or do you say huh i don't care and this affects my day not at all or, or the fourth one which is oh crap like the right is really going to use this in order to like whip yeah. up their base yeah right? that's legitimate the last one that's, that's the feeling i have it's like ah. Oh, Fuck! Like another right, one. Right. Like they're they're really. This is gonna be like a whole news cycle now. Of like I'm so irritated. By down I don't online. care, and it doesn't. Yeah, and it hating totally Muslims doesn't affect again. Me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So I was actually um, I was downtown in downtown Manhattan during September 11th. I was in the subway at the time, and uh, when I heard what Jeez. happened, um, we got trapped in the subway for like three hours. <laughs> And uh, when I heard what was happening, I was like, oh, man, it's a bad day for the Palestinian cause. Which isn't to say that wasn't a tragedy. I was like, oh, yeah. th- these are the political repercussions of something like that. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to say, if you were to say that at the time, you would be have been considered a monster. Right? <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, it's, like, that's, it's, it's terrible when your people that you know great, die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like awful. But, yeah, pretty awful. Yeah. You know, no question, but... It, it, is is that really what you're feeling? You know, when you get that flag decal on your car in Minnesota, and like, <laughs> or is it virtue signaling for in order? To, yeah, the right's yeah. virtue signaling. Yeah, 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 in order to like you know be part of something bigger than yourself in a really lame way. Like, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. We need. We, it's like it's like people are fans of terrorism. There's like terrorist fans. They like really have a great day when there's a terrorist attack because they get to like check out the flag. They're yeah. vindicated. I 100 percent think this is what the Trump presidency is yeah, hoping yeah, for. Yeah, it's it's really like, yeah, there's yeah. a delight and a glee there yeah, um, yeah. because 
we've seen it. There's a, if there's any bias, like type one or type two error, there's a bias on the part of of the Trump administration to call anything he can yeah. Yeah. terrorism, right? Yeah, because he's a terrorist fetish. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like really it's off on terrorism. This, and this is also one of the things uh, that'll bail out his administration, yeah, right? Sure. War or terrorism. I, I'll also say that I've always found it particularly interesting that the fear you have of terrorist attack is proportional in some way to how far away you live from a place that might actually be targeted by terrorists. Uh, (laughs) Just the further away you get from any place that terrorists might actually want to hit, the the more worried you're going to be about Sharia law and people showing up to bomb your nightclub or whatever that doesn't exist in your podunk town. Yeah, yeah, and this goes back to the fact that the face of terrorism is a sort of racialized notion of what a Muslim Uh, is, right? And so, and I think somewhere, like if you live in a neighborhood like Jackson Heights where like a good 30% of your neighbors are Muslims, like that's your exposure to what it means to be a Muslim, right? And if you live in smaller towns or, I mean, this is true with any minority group, right? Like if you don't know gays or if you don't know Jews or if you don't know white people, like your stereotypes come through the media, Mm. right? And so if what you see predominantly when your exposure to Islam is terrorists, right? Like this is their, their forefront, then this is this is how you think of terrorism, and that's why it's directly proportional, right? You just, I think, you just don't have enough exposure. For sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I think of Muslims, I think of people I'd rather drink with than Protestants. <laughs> <laughs> just so, so there's uh, there's a there was a really good book called Accidental Guerrilla. It's by David Kilcullen, and he basically talks about the cycle of terrorism. And the idea is that terrorism exists in order to provoke a reaction, yeah. mm-hmm. and which will, and then in part, cause a counter reaction among your people. Your people being Muslims or the faithful or the Ummah, right? right? To hate the people that are attacking you, right? And so, like, the whole point is to like cause this cycle to spin, where you have a very small attack. It provokes this disproportionate reaction and that and felt helps you define this community that you're hoping to want mm-hmm. put back into the cycle. So um in a lot of ways this willingness to spin up terrorism is again giving terrorists if there is a political end to terrorism, this is it, right? And yeah. we're helping contribute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's artless trolling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean it's very violent, horrible trolling. Right. Yeah. yeah. But so what's the answer to that? Is there a, a way to for CNN or news organizations to cover terrorism less. Yeah, I mean, you vote with your clicks and you vote yeah, with your eyeballs. I like think to some degree. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't need to click on twelve articles about terrorism. And they, I'm like the most guilty of this. Yeah, yeah. sure. Because you, you're curious, like, who is it going to affect and how deep is it? Yeah, and like, I need, like, I need, like, you know, yeah. I need to read twelve different versions yeah, of the yeah, same yeah, story. Yeah. I don't really need to. T- it's all the like small iterations. Yeah, you should just flag it obscene sexual content. And right now I'm just counseling just myself. Yeah, I only really need to check in to something like like a news service maybe like for half an hour a day. Yeah. Like I don't need to be on it all the time. Like I mean, yeah. it's like a if place you I've take any to. given day where a terrorist attack on the scale of what happened in was it Manchester at the Ariana Grande concert yeah, yeah. that killed. Almost fifty people, yeah. uh, which terrible. is it's it's terrible. Yeah. If you scan <laughs> the entire globe in that given day, yeah. there's some sort of tragedy that probably Absolutely. killed more people. Yeah, yeah. The Fukushima disaster was in, killed an insane amount of people. Right? <laughs> it killed like yeah, so. 
Yeah, 10,000. Maybe 10,000 people, right? I could be wrong on that, but certainly thousands. That's an insane tragedy. That's huge. That's massive. I, I really don't drill in because it's like nuclear power. I'm interested in that. Mm-hmm. I've like supported it in the past. But then that's, people, that's why, it, that's your trigger, right? Like, I mean, that's, is. that is this looming evil that you think is under... No, I'm but, for nuclear power. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I was like, oh shit, like what, you know, yeah. what went wrong? What's yeah. the cycle? You know, what is like this whole, you know, like... Yeah. But that entire crisis, I would say, did not receive a fraction of the media coverage of whatever the most recent terrorist terrorist attack. attack. Yeah, and to the extent that it did, it was seen as a uh, as a as a problem of nuclear power or of like uh, or of or of uh, of an act of God. Right? Right. We saw the Mm -hmm. Fukushima disaster as like an act of God. This like tsunami took this thing out, and there were videos of the tsunami and everybody. But that's. That's to me a, a, a bleaker, more horrifying tragedy than a human one, right? Like human beings killing other human beings is not to me all that tragic. That's Part more of course. like yeah. There's no. We, it is a constant. I mean, as information becomes more readily available, we can we can find out about tragedies every single second yeah. of every fucking yeah, day yeah, if that's yeah, what. We and the do. Media, and uh, there's something about the cycle that that brings that up. That is what what brings people to their sites is mm. tragedy you you lead with what bleeds right yeah. or yeah like i mean it's and that's unfortunately the bias of the of media and and there is something we we want a reaction or we want to know oh, okay well this is tragic or this is not tragic or we want to think about it but there's something meaningful about these deaths um that we don't think about in terms of okay well how many people will die because of the heat wave in new york right <laughs> like i mean it's true i mean mm-hmm. the heat wave yeah. grabs a country you know 10 to 15 people probably die in the big cities right like and they're always elderly yeah. but we just sort of skate over that right for some reason we don't consider that a tragedy as much as we do other types of tragedies so it's just something to be aware of to me i i, I want people to have the i guess like cover to feel okay about not caring about this shit. It's time to understand that we have a bias towards it, right? Yeah. I, I, and you can care about it, but you can also be like, hey, I don't need to feed a media cycle that just is is tragedy porn. Or terror. It's not even tragedy porn, because I, I would say that there's a tragedy porn. It's, it's actually terrorism yeah. porn. Yeah. It's the fact that there's a human being doing it, right? Yeah. It's the same... Uh, shit that it's the same thing people like if you know somebody that's really obsessed with serial killers right it's a yeah. little bit hot but you also kind of think like alright that's like it's a little bit messed up that's like a fetish yeah. they're into right same deal with terrorism like if they're really well, obsessed right. with terrorists like that's a, that's an actual like fetish they've got they get some kick out of it they get some thrill out of focusing on right. this particular and I think, method I think there's murder. a the, it's the combination of both having these horrible outcomes yeah. perpetrated by people that we can judge, right? Yeah, like, yeah, and that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why even yeah. something like a, a factory fire, it's like, okay, well, you have to kind of dig into your politics to figure out, okay, well, this is the fault of a capitalist system and, and global supply chains and things like that, yeah. right? So it's not as easy to judge as something like terrorism, right? I just feel, I feel backwards about it. I feel like there's more we can do about something like the Fukushima disaster. Like, For to sure. me, that's a time when we can actually work toward you know increasing the ability of these nuclear reactors to withstand things like tsunamis that's like a that's like a stress test of like oh shit we can fix this like mm-hmm. if we apply human reason and you know knowledge and understanding we will be able to solve this particular problem i do not think fun maybe this is the catholic in me i do not think fundamentally we will ever be able to solve the problem of human beings killing other human beings 
forever. For whatever think, reason. For whatever reason. I think it's going to happen until human beings cease to exist, right? Like, that is part of human nature. You have to, like, find a way to sit with that and, like, accept it. And then you can, like, move on with your life. And, yeah. like, it's not tragic to me. That is, that's an expression of the human spirit. It's a fucked up expression of the human spirit, but it's human. It's human and I accept it, you know? Like, and it doesn't move me. And yeah. it doesn't move me in the same way that a tragedy that we can prevent and is fixable does. That actually moves me to action and makes me concerned. And, like, I feel bad about it. If it's a failure of some government system, if it's a failure of some scientific system or safeguard or if it's like a disease that we ought to be able to have a smallpox breakout in you know minnesota or something like that that fucking makes me furious and like Mm -hmm. i want to fix it if the only way to end terrorism is to kill every single human being you know if there are two one will terrorize the other (laughs) (laughs) but i don't know that's that's my dark opinion (laughs) i think that that's pretty valid i mean i think there are things you can do about creating an environment that does support terrorism one of course is the political like the way that we think about the military and you know yeah. going in and invading countries right. which right. has Fair mixed, yeah, mixed yeah, yeah. views yeah, yeah, yeah. we can be yeah. harder right. on yeah. Iran yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that there are ways that we can limit how much of it there is there are certain pathways that we can take to yeah. decrease it but yeah. it, it's never it's never going to be something that just goes away forever whereas in the case of nuclear power and in the case of climate change like these are actual problems that we could in theory fix but they're being drowned out by the noise of a problem that's smaller than it's purported to be uh, and that ultimately is probably not something that we can do too terribly much about as Americans. Also, I think there's an uh, equally dark human instinct for revenge, right? You can't mm-hmm. get revenge on a tsunami, but you can yeah. get revenge on a country that sure. has created, perpetrated or some, or people that have perpetrated some terrorist yeah. attacks. Or just on anybody after something that has been done to you, if you can manage to point the finger yeah. at them. Yeah. Well, I, I think my takeaway from this conversation is, one, understand that the media exists a lot as terrorism or catastrophe porn. And, under, and change my own behavior. And I also think that one of the more radical things you can do is anytime you see someone in Muslim garb, say salam alaikum to them. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, mean, it's, it's, I think it's incumbent upon every liberal to be like, I'm going to go out of my way to greet people in their own language, yeah. especially Muslims right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or hang out and, you know, making people feel comfortable where they are in your country is vital and not isolating them and making inroads in the communities and being part of them and seeing how you're a part of you know like that's totally doable you can yeah. do that you know so if you are killed in a terrorist attack you feel like you're killed by a human being and it means something. <laughs> as opposed to like an outside force of god which is not true you're yeah. killed by a person yeah. it's very sad and that but that person had hopes and dreams and it was a, it was a moment of like uh congress between the yeah. two of you that <laughs> took you out all right. <laughs> I mean, I just think that it's a bummer in general that the the one thing that America has proven really, really good at in its 250 or so years of being on this earth is assimilating other people into its culture and how quick we've been just in this last generation to start really abdicating. It takes time. Way. I think we're still working at it. I don't think America's, abdi- you know, stopped assimilating people. Sure, I certainly. I mean, yeah. New York will always be... New York, as long as poor people can afford to live yeah, here. Yeah, I put up a few crackers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so is that it for terrorism? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So the, the other thing I want to talk about was the economy, and I think that. Oh might yeah, be sure. Really talk. So I guess there are uh, uh, there's uh, some of the noise that comes that gets buried, right? Or something that gets buried in the noise is like how well is the economy doing? And this is one of the 
indicators that people keep talking about, like, okay, uh, and it's not something people know a lot about. Um, and it could, in fact, should the economy rally a lot, this could be one of the things that sort of pulls the Trump administration out of its doldrums, right? Mm. Um, and increasingly, I actually see this in the party line of uh, a paper I used to really respect, the Wall Street Journal, where they keep talking about how disappointed they are in Trump, who can't, you know, see his way forward to pushing out, pushing out this uh, agenda of his, which is lower taxation, yeah. cleaning up taxation, actually, lower regulation and infrastructure, all of which would help the economy. Um, and I feel like the Wall Street Journal has kind of, like a lot of the Republican Party, has like pinned its hopes on this like miracle set of reforms that's going to deliver uh, such stellar growth that everything will be forgiven, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think in some ways, Donald Just, Trump has conned them on this promise, <laughs> right? Like he's conned other people on different things. Yeah, yeah. Like this is how he pitches himself to the Republicans, right? The establishment Republicans. I'm going to give you great growth. They're like, you're going to give us great growth. We're going to forgive everything else about you. And... As an economist, um, I, I look at his reforms. Some of them are sensible. Some mm -hmm. of them are batshit crazy. Mm -hmm. I think his, his policy, whatever it would have been, sort of balances two things out um, that may have canceled each other out. But what you're talking about is the type of growth uh, improvements that you would see that would have been modest, right? right. Like, it's not worth selling the future <laughs> of your party down the road. <laughs> so, in my world, uh, like, the difference, I mean, uh, so he's talking about delivering us 3% growth yeah. versus right now we have about 2% GDP mm. growth. 2% GDP growth is slow. It's sluggish, and you can feel that. 3% growth is a, an economy that grows. Um, it'll grow by about a third over 10 years. That's a huge difference in terms of, of, of what you see in terms of material prosperity. Yeah. And that's a goal worth chasing down. Sure. I'm not sure that anything in the Trump, in, in the most ideal set of Trump reforms would have delivered that. The, the, the truth is what has happened, actually. Yeah. When you look at some places like East Europe, or you can even extend this story further, yeah, or when yeah. you think about uh, there were a number of economies that were, we mentioned this, like either second or third world, that yeah. weren't really participating fully in the global economy. And somewhere between 1989 and the current period, they became part of the uh, of the global economy. And what that did was it effectively doubled the global labor force while adding almost nothing to to global capital. So now, all of a sudden, global capital is very expensive relative to the labor force, yeah. and the labor force is very cheap. Yeah. And so mm. this is this is not dissimilar to what happened in Eastern Europe. You had old capital that was no longer applicable, and you had a flood of labor, right? And so what does that mean? That means you get cheap labor, so if your economy is based on things that require cheap labor, you're pretty good. If it's not, then you have to invest in capital, and so you all of a sudden, people who own capital are rewarded. People who are on the labor side all of a sudden have two or three times the competition. And that's been a narrative for our economy for the past 20, 25 years. Um, uh, the, other, the other story, though, to keep in mind is that while all of this is happening, you're seeing an explosion of the middle class, right? So mm -hmm. China has effectively killed destitute poverty, um, yeah. and, and within its borders, right? Yeah. I mean, there's still poverty. It is mm. substantial. There's a huge disparity. But you see the abject poverty of a generation ago that happened in China. It hasn't happened. I think mm. India also produced another, uh, what, 200 million middle class yeah. mm -hmm. uh, people over the past 25 oh, yeah, years. For sure. Yeah, so there has been a real change. And this is, this is when we talk about things like Marxism, this is a hard legacy to square because mm. um, the global economy 
in its own way has grown a middle class. I think there's always a problem with growing a middle class, that we, we compete for the same resources, mm -hmm. this is hard for us to figure out how to balance capital versus labor, um, and the returns, and how people have stable lives if, you know, if you're effectively in a global economy now. Um, and, but certainly parts of the world have transformed radically for the better in the past mm -hmm. 25, 30 years. Uh, is greater than 2% growth, which we have roughly now, really possible, one, in an economy that is as large as America's is, and also an economy that has the levels of inequality that America does, that while certainly the middle class is booming in China and India, it's been steadily shrinking for decades here, and as fewer Americans have spending money, how does that affect the growth of our economy in the near and long-term future. Hard to define yeah, what the middle class exactly. is. I would say that you could say that uh, middle America has, like the middle of the of the range, has definitely seen income stagnate. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fair argument that you can make based on. I think it's defining middle class as such a shifting goalpost. Yeah, but like, sure. Yeah, that's a harder comment to make. But um, so uh, so one of the things I, I get kind of annoyed with the Wall Street Journal again. I, I'll pick on them because I thought for a while they had really good economic sense yeah. and they just don't anymore uh, one of the things is that inequality is one issue the size of the country is another um, but fundamentally we're also an aging economy sure and that's a demographic that has that isn't partisan it's just a truth and that's mm. so what we're going to do now and we have a huge system of um, taxation and redistribution that has less to do with giving taking from the rich and giving to the poor as as much as giving as taking from uh, let's say, let's say the rich giving to the elderly middle class, mm -hmm. and so that's a character, but it's kind of true. Our uh, the things that we don't touch in this country in terms of sure uh, uh, benefits are social security and, and Medicare, Medicare, right? And so these are huge, um, these are huge liabilities that will only grow, and that mm -hmm. is going to continue to uh, drag on the economy. It's it's going to it's going to demand attention from uh, both Wall Street, but also uh, Washington, right? So this is this. This is a fiscal bind that we're in that everyone saw coming for the past forty years. Oh, and has done nothing about. It. What, you what, can't touch it. Right? What do you? Well, what do you think about plans of countries like Canada and Germany? Although we'll see with the political climate how successful they actually are to try to at least justify to their populations to bring in large younger immigrant populations in order to f fulfill the labor force. I mean, so this is this is the uh, to me as an economist and maybe also as a child of immigrants, the clear solution is yeah. you ramp up immigration, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's how you help to, you bring in taxpayers, right. like the bubble, the, the baby bubble, uh, the baby boomer payments bubble will last for about 20 years and they're going to be a wretched 20 years. We mm. can offset that to some degree um, by bringing in young people who are willing and able to work. Sure. Uh, and we can, and we can, uh, we can bring in people who are, able to address our skill shortage. Um, I'll talk about that in a second, but like, it's really important to think about all of those things. So immigration is one key. I actually think that, um, I, I also think there has to be a fundamental honest conversation in the U.S. that we don't have. Like, I think America wants to be like a middle to high benefits country mm. with low to middle taxes. Yeah. And that's not something that works, right? That's, that's a recipe for disaster. You have to effectively be like, we can pick either. Uh, there is a virtue for having a simplified tax code. And this is something that Republicans and Democrats, but especially Democrats do, is they use 
the tax code to socially engineer, right? Or uh-huh. like chase mm-hmm. pest projects. And that's ripe for corruption. It's yeah, ripe sure. for lobbying. It's bad. And it makes the it makes the economy inefficient because you get to pick winners and losers. You get to be, you reward this group or that group. Um, so uh, a cleaner, more simple tax is a virtue. And this is one thing that uh, he's played lip service to, but Trump is not wrong on. He's a businessman. He should know this. This is business 101. But how you get that for? Yeah, he's kind of a businessman. <laughs> um, he's a legacy businessman. Um, but so this is this is a good idea. Um, I but it's clear that the Republicans can't pass this. They can't pass they much can't more pass simple. It. They can't repeal Obamacare. They're like resin detra. Like why? Why would I? Why would I think they would be able to do anything on tax? Well, I mean, they've got thirty Republicans that, short of tax uh, reform, being eliminating all taxes. <laughs> well, so value added tax, as far as I understand, it, European style one, it takes out the income tax and puts it all in the supply chain, right? So, like every every purchase yeah. is uh, part of this. So, therefore, you're you're moving the yeah. sliders as far as like the economy goes, as opposed to putting it in the hands of people to report their own income. Mm. Yeah, so. but so you could, uh, but all that means is so again, it's naked. So this isn't something else. So like, what you're saying is that you're doing something very populist, which is like you don't pay any tax. Yeah. But you know what? We're going to put all that tax burden on businesses, like which are both invisible transactions, not necessarily businesses. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It, that tax is a transactional tax. So yeah. there's a, there's effectively a sales tax. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's also a high income tax. I mean, a median income tax, I think, is something on the order of. 40 or 50 percent in Germany, right? Like, so there is an income tax. I have long thought that part of it is also just a psychological mindset. If from the get-go we didn't tell people we're going to pay you $75,000 a year and then 30 percent of that is taken away from taxes and they just tell you from the beginning, you don't, we don't pay taxes, but you only pay, we're only going to pay you $40,000 a year, people wouldn't have as much of a problem with it. So, it's specific the idea that they're taking my money, yeah, as opposed to the money was never there in the first Or the government place. needs to support itself so that... Right, there's no system that is perfect, yeah. and every system has its own kind of flaws. And that's just something, no one has a silver bullet for taxation. There's of course. No system, and, and it's complicated, and there, you have to get deep in the weeds. I will make one argument, though. The way that the tax burden works in the U.S., right is that it is far less distributed than, say, a country like Germany. So, like, an average, uh, the tax burden, the way that we've always done income tax in the U.S., and that's where we get a lot of our taxes, is it's always been progressive in, in the burden, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, the top 10% pay something like 80% of taxes. And this is, if you don't want them to pay, like, now you've all of a sudden established a, uh, a government that's paid for by the rich mm-hmm. and then will cater to the needs of the rich. Mm. And so this is something that I can't believe more leftists are, are angry about, like, aren't angry about. Like, are, you, you can increase taxes and you can continue to put the burden and say, like, we're going to tax the rich their fair share. All that's fine. But what that means is that any government is going to have to now cater to the interests of the rich because they're calling the shots. The other thing that we also do is we um, we don't tax uh, healthcare spending on businesses. So there's yeah. a big tax credit when uh, businesses purchase healthcare that distorts healthcare yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. So I mean, they're not only inefficient, um, they're not redistributive, and they cause really skewed incentives, right? Um, so a cleaner tax system would be a great thing. It's just how do you get there? And unlike something like abortion, where there is really no middle ground. Mm-hmm. There is actually middle ground in something like oh, healthcare. Middle ground. It's, called, it's called trimester. <laughs> it's, called, <laughs> it's called being pro-choice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying uh, the Supreme Court made that up, and it's a delightfully crazy middle ground. Wow. Yeah, I just think I think there's enough middle ground for sensible people to talk about taxes and be like, okay, oh. look, yeah, I 
I think you like you can you can effectively be you can have a very good conversation and be like we're going to be tax neutral on this mm-hmm. right like you can do a lot of reform mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily you're not trying to starve the beast but even if you if you're just like okay whatever we do we're still going to retain so much tax you can make the system much more efficient sure yeah. I agree I mean I'd be thrilled if we could just get out from under the hands of lobbyists enough to at least have them tell us how much they know we owe and you can just sign off on that as opposed to having to go through the same process that some government worker has already gone through to fill out your paperwork incorrectly yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe get thrown in jail for it. Yeah. yeah. No. I'm sorry, I also think we should just fucking tax the churches. Like oh yeah, of course. Oh, I absolutely agree. I'm a, I'm a you know person. this isn't like seventeen ninety. <laughs> How rich do you think the church is? I think they uh, all- I, I I come from mega churches <laughs> in yeah. North Dallas, quite yeah. quite large. <laughs> They've that's got fair, plenty of money. Fair. It's also like per trend. it's like a money laundering. It's like hidden money. Like where does it go? How much we have no oh, idea. Yeah, yeah, because they're taxed. Yeah. I mean especially Especially yeah, yeah. given that the the laws that supposedly enforce the boundary between church and state that stop pul- stop preachers from politicizing the pulpit are yeah. just slowly being dissolved yeah. anyway. Well, a simpler tax code, I think it eats, eases the burden on kind of like how people interact with the government, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, if you yeah, had, yeah, yeah. if you had a way that like, oh, okay, well, I'm. I'm employing myself. It's literally like an easy calculation. Mm-hmm. It's an automatic thing. I don't even have to think about it. It's automatically deducted. I know exactly how much I have. Mm-hmm. There's no fudging. That's that. Yeah. Um, it would make. It would go. It would. The tax preparer lobby would die because there would be no <laughs> sure. tax preparers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and that's that's actually a real impediment. Yeah. That, um, oh no, for sure they lobby heavily to make sure that. Yeah. Many many congressmen have put forth legislation just saying, right. why don't we just <laughs> tell people what they owe us and then they can pay us. Yeah, there's a and really good Planet Money about um, the guy who decided to like uh, automate your tax reform and uh, re- tax returns in California. So you would, I think, it's in California, but basically like you would fill out a form uh, in a year, and then forevermore, you, like it would just be automatically calculated and deducted. You would sign it, and that was the end. That's what happens if you don't pay taxes. Uh, they just assess your tax rate at whatever your you know like yeah. la- latest tax return is, and charge you yeah. retroactively for all the other years you didn't pay. Right? Well, yeah. So, um, so I mean, taxes again, like it's it's a complicated thing, but like we also don't tax. Um, Social Security passed a certain income level, uh, yeah. which is nonsense, right? Like, I mean, if you, I mean, if you're, you don't give into Social Security uh, anymore if you're a millionaire or if you're a billionaire, and that, yeah. uh, and you would cause distortions. I understand, but uh, putting on a tax on Social uh, so that you could fill the coffers of Social Security makes a lot of sense. Sure, yeah. I mean, I also personally don't have a problem with. Uh, Strengthening the estate tax. These are all technocratic solutions. Well, we it's are a te- technocratic <laughs> conversation. I think the real question. I'm is, sorry. Workers of the world <laughs> unite. Burn it to the ground. Millionaires and billionaires. <laughs> <laughs> millionaires and billionaires. Let's let's move on to, to doubling down on defeat. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. let's get away from politics and yeah. go to our section we call doubling down on defeat, yeah. where we like to talk about the lack of strategy or any hope. <laughs> Emanating from the left or the Democratic Party. Oh God, it's yeah. the fucking worst. It makes me so mad. <laughs> I think you might have a different perspective on this, being as uh, coming from uh, the far left as opposed to the center left. This is the big war, right? So I, you would see the Democrats as being uh, strategically weak, as opposed to the, I guess, like far the Democratic Socialists. Oh, I think they're both totally strategically weak. That the yeah. far left is too busy eating its own and the 
mainstream of the Democratic Party is desperately trying to backpedal away from its far left base. And I think both re are recipes for disaster. Who inspires you the most right now, as far as like leaders on the left? I like Kamala Harris. I'm not super familiar with her, but you know she's young and has very. She hasn't had a chance to disappoint me yet. Beautiful eyes. <laughs> I don't see physical features. I do. I'm a, I'm a post physical features man. Uh, I mean, the real problem is that the Democratic Party is too old and that the far left is too young. And that there's not, like, anyone... There's not enough charismatic people in their 40s and early 50s to, like, come forward and, like, take the reins of leadership. I will, I'll also say I think that neither branch actually has a ground game. Like, I think that it's really hard to talk about, like, what it, how are we taking over Indiana? Like, I... Well, I think they have real disputes about how that ground game yeah, is supposed sorry, to yeah, actually right. happen because it, there's, I think, at least a pretty big segment of the establishment of the Democratic Party that wants to move more to the center because they believe that they can pick up n Republicans that aren't Trump supporters. The center economically. I mean, I think culturally a lot of the center. Oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure. Uh, I would make the argument that recent polling of the Republican Party shows that that's pretty unlikely and that they would be better off energizing their base. But some of their base is pretty fucking wackadoo. So they got to, like, toe that line of trying to figure out how how left do we actually need to get to get this, like, new energy and spirit that's kind of being infused into the left within the tent of the Democratic Party. And it doesn't help that the leadership of the far left, I mean, they've been pitching their don't vote for the lesser of two evils for generations, and it's really unfortunate that this was the time that they actually got it to fucking stick, right? <laughs> yeah. And that was what was really disappointing. Like, that people that largely I agree with were so blinded from the forest by the trees that they couldn't see the existential crisis that is the election of Donald Trump. The, the, the part of America that he empowered upon getting elected is ultimately, I think, it's proven to be really damaging to the left as it has also militarized the left in a way that is fucked up and weird. And you have people claiming to be anti-fascist, dressing up like fascists, showing up to free speech rallies with bottles and axe handles. I don't know. It, 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 I, it, this wouldn't be happening if Secretary Clinton had become President yeah. Clinton, I can tell you that right now. Yeah. I mean, my, my concerns with Secretary Clinton were largely on foreign policy so I think domestically that she probably would have been fine and that plenty of Republicans even though they hated her would be secretly sighing a breath of relief knowing that she was in charge and, and not they being someone imbecile. fun to fight yeah, oh, yeah they yeah. they love being an opposition yeah. government yeah. they're terrible at actually yeah. governing yeah. they had seven years to figure out a health care bill yeah. they, they don't know what the hell they're doing yeah absolutely um, so for this section, we also like to bring up specific examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm j I was just curious. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so my my example from doubling down defeat it, uh, was, uh, and this has actually just gotten into the news cycle. <laughs> yeah, was, you, were, you were ahead of the you were ahead of the news on this. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I went to see Shakespeare in the Park. Um, oh, okay. They did a version of Julius Caesar. Oh, I heard about this. I yes. About this. Um, so uh, there's an article in the Times, right, about. Uh, about how what it looked like, um, so um, just to give you a feel, so they did uh, Shakespeare in Park is a free uh, 
a set of uh, plays that they uh, host in Central Park in New York City um, every summer, and they do two or three plays, uh, depending on. Um, they tend to favor Shakespeare. They'll do other types of plays, too. Uh, this year, they decided they were going to go with... Um, Julius Caesar. Sure. And um, Julius Caesar is a it's a it's a fine Shakespeare play, I guess, if you like his histories. Uh, but what they went with was they decided that they were going to cast Julius Caesar as Donald Trump, yeah. and then yeah. I guess Brutus is uh, is some uh, unnamed Democrat. It's not really clear who he is. Um, so in the play, uh, Julius Caesar, uh, Julius Caesar is killed by the third act. I think that is the third act, right? Yeah. He's killed, Cox and then and yeah, in the Ides of March, Cox and and the people who kill him actually have to deal with this the the. Uh, the anarchy they've let loosened, right? So there's a there's a quick there's a revolution. They kill Caesar for being a horrible tyrant, but then they themselves are hunted down by one of Caesar's um, uh, seconds. Uh, in this case, Mark Anthony. Um, so uh, anyway, so it's so the play is interesting. The acting is really good. It is free, so those are all the things going for <laughs> it. The politics are kind of terrible. Like I mean, it's really unsubtle. Like I mean, so it, so first of all, it's it's. Way flattering to cast Julius Caesar. Yeah, Julius Caesar had too many positive qualities. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that makes no sense. Julius Caesar is like a, like a conquering hero, yeah, a celebrated war leader. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so, so he comes, and so, it, so the uh, uh, Greg Henry is the actor. So Greg Henry is is very clearly Trump. He he gesticulates like him. Um, his wife has a mysterious European accent, East European accent, so obviously she's a Melania. It's not clear who they want Mark Anthony to, to be, but uh, um, who's the other person? It's clear that someone else is Jared. Um, uh, so, uh, and and the worst thing I think is like so in Julius Caesar they have this war between the various armies, and they decide that one army, the one of the counter revolution, Julius Caesar's is going to be these like armed like police people, and the other one are going to be the Antifa like. Black Lives Matter. So basically, you have two armies fighting each other, where one is an unarmed protest and the other one has guns. So like, it's really, it like the politics are so naked and terrible. Like, I can't believe someone just said like, why don't you why don't you dial it down a little? Like, I mean, this is unsubtle. Coriolanus is a play that's on the table that would have been much more accurate <laughs> right. as far as the Trump administration. They <laughs> change the text to refer to Fifth Avenue killing someone on Fifth Avenue. Right. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> but also, but also, I, I hear what you're saying. It's also kind of awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's free. It's in the middle of New York. Who? It's probably is it? right. Uh, yeah, there's a view from Trump Tower to <laughs> this play. It's so it's kind of awesome. Is there? Is, uh, I hear what you're saying. Is though. Shakespeare in the Park? Is that done by the public theater? Yeah, yeah the yeah, public yeah. theater. So they do great work. Um, I I often think that Shakespeare in the Park is is often quite good. Oh yeah. It's yeah. often not so good. Um, I would say that. I, I I feel like if you come from the left, you're going to defend the play and the right for artistic expression. Just know that, much like defending certain albums and back in the day, like you're defending not a great piece of art. Like you're just Absolutely. like, yeah, just, I mean, this is like two life crew. You're like, okay, yeah, I got yeah, yeah, yeah. totally within their right to do it, but yeah, it does yeah. seem like a not a very good. It's idea. really really unsubtle in the way yeah. that like you have some really like it takes away from the better parts of that play. The proximity. Of it to Trump and its properties, huh? I believe, is pretty hilarious. Like, I think that makes it kind of... I think if it were done even downtown, you know, it would be 
less funny. The well, fact that it's so close, like I, I, I admire that. I admire the balls of that. Right. So, and I think the I think in some ways the politics also doesn't allow for the point of Julius Caesar is yeah, that like that's the problem. Right. 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 By, Julius by, Caesar yeah. is all about the anxiety exactly. of succession. Yeah, right. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. not like it, whereas I think this version is. Donald Trump is evil. The right. people who sided with him are evil, yeah. and the, uh, everyone else is like this noble crusader. Yeah, and that's which that's the, that's, that's not, not what Julius Caesar yeah. is about, right? Like, and it's, and it shouldn't be oh. about. He's a great man, right? right. But they're killing for right. You know, the a higher principle, which is but and it yeah. lets loose anarchy, right? Yeah, like, exactly. and that's the whole point. Yeah. Like, it's uh, and that's it's a, it's a it's a you know it's a pro Elizabethan play, <laughs> right? Right. Since he's writing for Elizabeth, right? Right. right. They want a strong leader. Yeah, it shows you like the power of. a a good leader and why we shouldn't maybe that's the point that. that the public theater was maybe trying to make is like oh, we know we know you want to kill him <laughs> yeah. but it'll be riots in the street guys yeah, we can't riots do it counter revolution it'll be worse they're kind of like just banking on the fact that no one understands you know modern Shakespearean English and yeah it's the, just like the visual yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, anyway so that was, I mean it's interesting that the most success, successful Shakespearean adaptation in New York in years has been sleep no more where not a single line of Shakespeare is actually spoken. <laughs> I thought there was like a half line, right? Isn't there like one at some point at some point someone's going like out. Like like I uh, there might there's I once or twice like but it, it all depends on if you find that actress when yeah, yeah, she's yeah, yeah, doing yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. thing or whatever. Yeah, I agree. there's like screams and stuff. Which well, maybe that was public theater the for your next cycle. Might I recommend Coriolanus? Coriolanus, perhaps Richard the Third. Perhaps try this. Perhaps King Lear. Ah, uh, that's a great Trumpian adaptation, right? Someone going insane, looking for loyalty, creating uh, a, his a unnecessary war in a kingdom that. Uh, is moving forward. The problem is, I think they just did. They just did King, King Lear, Lear like three yeah. years ago. No, I'm you, bring it back. <laughs> it's Shakespeare. I also, no, I think there's a cycle where every out. time a, a Republican um, is elected as president, uh, the the public rolls out Julius Caesar. So like, just, so, yeah, like, it's like so I know. I was just looking because they in the playbill they show like old Julius Caesar, <laughs> and it's like. 2001 <laughs> and like Some 1988 <laughs> our next topic is outside the bubble when yeah. we talk about uh sources that we really like uh outside our liberal elitist bubble yeah so uh I'll go for a second. really yeah. quickly uh just texas matters uh, has a couple mm-hmm. podcasts uh out there really really interesting because texas politics is basically broken intentionally mm. by design right now like they've sure. shut down their congressional calendar so they're not even hearing new arguments right like or new bills right so it's a the Texas matters highlighted two bills that were put out by a republican and a democrat that kind of got shut down and texas is spiteful purging of its calendar uh-huh. uh, in the latest congressional cycle one was by uh, a houston rep they're both houston reps actually one was by a republican who was uh trying to make it uh, legal for uh minors to get vaccinated in spite of their parents so if their parents are anti-vax and they're legitimately worried about their own lives (laughs) they could get vaccinated which seems like a pretty good bill uh in the spirit of texas libertarianism trolling its right uh, i approve of it and i I think it's a good bill that should probably pass if you want to get vaccinated and you're a minor I think you should be able to do that. I think it's specifically <laughs> about. Uh, I think it's specifically for the cervical cancer vaccine uh-huh. uh, that uh, 
Republicans for some reason are opposed to uh, in Texas. Oh, They'll yeah. just go out there and have all the sex yeah, if they know that they can't get cervical cancer. It's really fucked up. And, and also <laughs> not in any way verifiable by any study that has been done on any sort of like contraceptive yeah, method. Yeah, so Republicans, like legitimately case to be made that they're pro-cervical cancel, which is a weird oh, stance I also to like the Republicans <laughs> like to troll the anti-vaccine people in general because they think anti-vaccine they think is left. Is, yeah. yeah, but in Texas there's no It's, left, it's so shifting. Yeah. But, I mean, it's be, with Donald Trump As an and, and yeah. Michelle Bachman and people yeah. like them, they've kind of moved it from the right. I mean, no, thank God. Also, I mean, you, you have, you know, nowhere <laughs> is the foothold of Alex Jonesian style conspiracy theory as strong as it is in the state of Texas. How to get the chips in is vaccines. Anyway, the second one is a Democrat is sponsored a bill. It's uh, I know your hackles are up, but it's a, so women, uh, black women in Texas die like three times more than white women in childbirth. And no one knows why this is happening in Texas, right? And the only the bill, the only thing it's for is why don't we find out why? <laughs> Let a fact-finding committee to find out why black women are dying three times more than white women in childbirth, right? Like you're pro-life. Well, here's women dying having babies. Let's find out why this is happening, right? And this bill has also been uh, taken off the calendar, so that will not be happening in Texas. We will not be finding out why black women are dying three times more than white women in the next uh, Good. congressional cycle. What so, What is life without a little <laughs> bit of mystery? You know. <laughs> but it I thought you don't care about this. <laughs> this, this. This is something that doesn't move you. It doesn't move me. It's the gross For hypocrisy. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not about caring about human beings. It's about you said one thing and now you're doing. Well, something the thing else. that's so dismaying about this is. This isn't politics on a scale of like anybody who's opposed to this. This is something that would have bipartisan support if it were allowed to go through on the calendar. Right? Oh, yeah. No one's going to turn this down, but the Republicans will return the entire calendar spitefully in favor of, you know, what does government do for anybody? Well, here's two bills that I think most people of a reasonable mind could agree that should have been argued about and possibly passed in order to make Texas a better place, right? And that has not happened. So government doesn't it has some per role to play in American society. And uh, <laughs> anyway, that's my outside the mobile for now. They're very interesting podcasts. Okay. I recommend. Uh, I'm also going to recommend a podcast. So uh, I am going to recommend uh, a, in particular a person, a guy named Mike Rowe. Oh uh, yeah. So like I'm with Mike yeah. Rowe. So yeah. he was on a podcast. So <laughs> it's an interesting thing. So he yeah. was on a podcast I listened to. Yeah. Uh, not guiltily. It's called The Art of Manliness. Uh, yeah, I, I understand I should be guilty about that. I'm sorry I'm saying those Toxic words. masculinity is yeah. rampant on this podcast so, right now. Art of Manliness is an interesting kind of podcast. Uh, I won't defend it here. Um, but, uh, so he had Mike Rowe on it, and Mike Rowe was talking about uh, blue-collar work in America. And one of the things he was saying was, um, uh, and it's, it is a very conservative line, like he's saying that what has happened is that one, uh, blue-collar work has in no way been promoted by our educational system. That, sure. So that's that. So effectively, what we do is okay. what we we've, well effectively, like in his way of telling it, and I think it's it's somewhat biased, but it's probably true. But um, that effectively, we always prescribe a single path, right? Like it's mm -hmm. like you go uh, you go to high school, you go to college, you get a job, mm -hmm. and so that may not be one that may not be right for everyone. Are you sure it's not? You play sports, you fuck around, you do drugs, you make it a blue-collar job? I mean, uh, that seems to be America. Right? Well, I mean, <laughs> you have, like, a different take on America. I, I mean, I, that was most of the people I went to school with. 
Miracle Jones is still scarred by his upbringing. <laughs> uh, the scarring is totally justifiable. It doesn't make him any more right, but he's correct to be traumatized. <laughs> Miracle Jones is the only guy who votes for, like, roots for the like bureaucrats and Friday Night Lights. <laughs> he's never, he's never rooting for coaching the team. He's always like, "You guys do need to like." I root for, Tammy, I root for Tammy Taylor. And the bureaucrat, because <laughs> he remembers a coach in Houston making him, you know, do burpees until he threw up in the Texas heat. Sure, he made me a person that is capable of fighting back. <laughs> um, anyway, so sorry. So, we'll call so, it work. We'll call it work. But so, uh, so one, I think in general. It's uh, and uh, I think that's fair. I mean, like in general, like I think you know, America lives in a class of society. We don't necessarily tend to sing the praises of blue collar work, especially like a lot of infrastructure work. Sure. Um, but his whole argument was that even during the recession, um, what we faced was actually a skills uh, uh, a skills gap, even in blue collar work. And so, trying to get people aware of jobs um, and willing to take a little bit of additional training is actually really hard. And so he started a foundation. He was actually pretty famous for doing a TV show that was called, like, Dirty Jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he talks a lot about that. Uh, and that's sort of what made him famous. But he sort of... He he started a foundation where he, where he tries... And it's not really clear what the foundation does now, but he uh, it tries to m- meet people who are willing to take on additional training to do blue-collar work because blue-collar work is just increasingly specialized. And it's effectively, like, how do we think about trades? Yeah. Like, doing blue-collar trades. It's not just, like pick out anyone can do it I mean you have to effectively learn how to uh, follow a trade relatively early on in life and how that path and, and trying to figure that out for yourself is somewhat lost and uh, so it, and it is a very sort of conservative way of thinking about work like you know you if you don't have a job what are you doing to try to get a job there are jobs out there um, but you I would know, say I'm sympathetic. Like I think I'm a, I'm a Mike Rowe kind of conservative if that if that's allowed. But like I know I know uh, Hickenlooper in Colorado is trying to get through uh, kind of an apprenticeship model in the public school system. Uh, yeah, a la Germany and uh, other Scandinavian countries. So it's a very interesting podcast, and I think uh, Mike Rowe does a really good job of selling this point. Um, so and it is a it is a conservative way of thinking about work. Uh, I'll I mean. Uh, one of the almost positive aspects of this administration is that is specifically something that they have addressed is the way our education system is more or less lined up for everybody is not a system that works for everybody. Unfortunately, their solution is to gut the public education system, which is going to be a horrible tragedy and will eliminate what little meritocracy is actually still left in the country. But the idea in general, I have two siblings that are autistic. They yeah. are still capable of working, of doing skilled labor, but... And I have a sister who can't do math. <laughs> uh, the artists outweigh the uh, economists in this room right now, so I'd be careful. Uh, but uh, they, you know... There, there's a lot that they're capable of doing, but the normal processes that you would go through in order to get trained for them, in order to apply yeah. for the job, etc., are not processes that necessarily work for them. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm for that kind of reform. I don't think that Mike Rowe... My main problem with Mike Rowe is that he's also on this trend of, like, these kids today, these millennials, they don't know anything yeah. about work or whatever, and yeah. I find that to be a little... I guess instead of... A, and instead since I crossed 40, I totally agree with them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, should we move on to our final topic? Yeah. Uh, this is our section we like to call Random Shit, and today's topic for Random Shit is... Drugs, right? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, oh, Jason's going to do some drugs. Oh, he's doing drugs. 
he has done drugs. Oh, wait, 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 he's holding it in. Drugs out. <laughs> uh, so, drugs. They're everywhere. You oh, do no, them. I hope my family doesn't. I do them. <laughs> <laughs> they're drugs. They're great. Uh, they're destructive. Uh, they're... Largely self-destructive. Though. Largely self-destructive. Uh, they're criminalized, and uh, they're... Uh, well, <laughs> all the good ones are. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, you know, uh, as American as apple pie. What, what, do you, what do you think about drugs, Kamalash? What was it? How many drugs have you done? What's your favorite drug to do? <laughs> all What's right, so drug? Let, me, let me set myself that. I, uh, I have never done an illegal drug. I, I grew up stri- podcast history. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I, I did not know that about you. Yeah, I, I never have. Uh, so I, when I was in high school, I yeah. ran with the straight edge crowd, which meant we listened to music and uh, like we just didn't like uh, we didn't drink or anything like that. We just listened yeah. to like you know whatever Chapel Hill indie rock. That was our thing. It turned out that there was, a lot of those people were drinking, and uh, actually one of my friends was actually doing a lot of drugs. You just didn't know it. At the time. I didn't know it at the time, yeah. and it was just like that wasn't when we hung out. We just didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that was what I was comfortable with. Like yeah. I grew up in a really like I grew up in a very austere Indian family. Like we don't parents don't eat meat they don't drink yeah. uh don't dance like i mean they make the puritans look like cyberites like i yeah, mean like yeah, it's yeah. so it, so what my boundaries are, are are drawn in in a very different way so like uh like, i didn't drink in college yeah so i i started drinking yeah yeah so i i actually had like a really puritanical yeah. upbringing that was really self-imposed i've always wondered why you look so good and youthful and you're, like, you're fucking like <laughs> pay on to like clean living oh, I, uh, I mean don't get me wrong i mean like you know i i I broke my vows. I mean, I started yeah. drinking and I sleeping with white women. So, like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's why I got. I don't know women. which one's worse. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it was, um, yeah. So I just grew up really puritanical, and I, uh, at the same time, I don't know how much judgment I had with it, right? Yeah. Like, so, like, um, it's not true with like my family, and I mean, my my parents are certainly, especially my father, is just very judgmental about those things. He can't help it, but yeah. like I try not to be judgmental about it. Yeah, I just yeah, it yeah. wasn't my thing, and mm. like, um, but I, I just have nothing really to contribute other than I have thoughts about drug policy. Yeah, but, like, but what yeah, thought, yeah but sure. Drug policy. What are, what are your thoughts about drugs, though? Like, so you must have been around people doing. Yeah, it. sure. Yeah. I mean, like a really good friend of mine actually, uh, actually probably my best friend in high school ended up having like a really nasty heroin addiction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like I wasn't around because I moved out of North Carolina at the time. But yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, like I'm exposed to it. Like a lot of my good friends, like you know, one, one way or the other, people who stayed in North Carolina, like yeah. It's a fair amount of drugs. Um, uh, so that, that's kind of my experience. It's always, yeah. like, a really vociferant. I do have this story where, like, my friend who was like, oh, we're coming up to New York, New York, yeah, we're coming yeah. to New York City, like, we're gonna, we have a show, I want you to get me these drugs. And yeah. I'm like, criminal <laughs> amounts of drugs. Got, like, the worst person to get them. And, like, he started just throwing, like, quantities, oh, like, quantities and like slang at me. Yeah. Quantities <laughs> and slang. So I went and I was like, okay, well, I'm in college. I know a couple people. Like, hey, yeah. man, can I get this? And they're like, well, this is what you can get. And they start throwing counter slang that don't match up to the worst I know, so yeah. I'm like, look, I got fingers, all right, and I know, I, just point me to the finger. I can't take like multiple and like aliases for this drug that you're talking about. 
I don't have my like drug handbook with me, yeah. so uh, I can't remember. But I would sell you so many. You're obviously not a cop. Like, somehow my somehow my friend managed to get high at an Ivy League school. So like that's that. So uh, services were rendered. I just yeah. I, I was just not in the middleman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? So have you ever been curious? Is it something you will live and die without ever doing? I like. I just never been super curious about it, and I'm yeah. older too, right? Like yeah. it's a, a time like, uh, like what? I, like so what? There's, a, less what to, there's less to destroy, dude. Yeah, like, time I guess to get so. In. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask how old you are? Yeah, I'm 42. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would have never guessed that in a million years, but I guess it is all that clean living. No, yeah. Yeah, right? just James. Um, I had some mad. <laughs> we aspire. Uh, we aspire. To <laughs> uh, Forty-two. Yeah, and so like, you know, I had boundaries that I had to push, and I had to push them in certain ways. But yeah. like, because my boundaries were so drawn in, like I pushed it. Like, like when I was pushing against boundaries, like you know, drugs and all of that other stuff, like that just wasn't. Like I, I had more stuff closer to me that I had to push against, so that's the yeah. way I think about it. And like all that rage and anger and willingness to like fuck up your life, like I did enough of that. Like in the twenties, it just it just never fell into the category of drugs, right? Like I was never willing to like that was just not the experimentation that I was willing to go down. Think about drugs, weed, for instance, mm-hmm. as it gets you high, <laughs> and I don't know any other way to get high. I then I tried meditation. <laughs> Uh, yoga, uh, I run a lot. None of it is beating me. None of it is even come close. Yeah, yeah let I me mean, let I, me dispel the myth of runner's high. It's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's it's just it just makes the pain that you put yourself into as a result of running that much start to subside a little yeah. bit. I don't get like the woo yippee. Yeah. Well, there's a different. I mean, there's like there's euphoria. There's like opiate kind of happiness yeah, there's yeah, like yeah. the warmth or whatever mm. there's like there's all kinds of like things that draw there's like sure they, I mean they all affect you different ways and yeah, also yeah. they all affect every individual person in a yeah, slightly different way right. but weed's interesting for that reason because like being high is like it's own metaphysical state you know that like I don't know how else you would get access to and I think you should try it at least once in your life. <laughs> <laughs> at um, least a couple times, like, in order to get high, Yeah, right? Because yeah. right? I think you would find it interesting, scientifically. Yeah, right, that's interesting in a way, because, like, I... One thing I really like is my own clarity of mind. Yeah. I don't think it affects your clarity of mind in, this, uh, in the way that you're well, thinking it affects it. that's definitely true. Yeah. Uh, I think... I mean, it... It, it affects everybody differently, and yeah. in the the context that you take it in affects everybody differently. I mean, I I've had a friend that smoked all the time, never really had any sort of problem. One day, she ate a little bit of a candy bar and had a real bad time for mm. like an hour and a half, and yeah. that th- that can happen. Yeah. I mean, personally, I've not really had those kind of negative experiences, but that you you can freak out sometimes. Um, and that's and and weed is the mildest of the bunch. I mean, yeah. It, what about yeah. other drugs? So like, um, I mean, weed. I think is. It, I mean, you can get it anywhere in New York. Like, I mean, it's super, yeah. Like, you can get so it anywhere. It's anywhere. Not when it's legal, are you gonna get high, smoke weed? No, I just like I don't see it as a thing. It'll be a legal drug. Well, I know, but I you know like my ritual of like meeting people and like letting I like I like drinking. Like yeah. that's my yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, and I like not me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Jason is also drinking an, um, <laughs> an entire bottle of Maker's Mark. Yeah. <laughs> that bottle wasn't even halfway full, and it is not empty. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I, 
I'll also say, you know, I've I've never personally seen m- drugs other than alcohol as necessarily a particularly social thing. That for the most part, yeah. the experiences that I enjoy when I'm high are either like, I mean, this is like a total neutral experience. It isn't like me going to a party or anything yeah. like that, yeah. or me just like hanging out by myself. Mm. Playing some Zelda. I just got a Nintendo Switch for my birthday. Um, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Just, you know, hanging out, relaxing a little bit at the end of the day or whatever. I, yeah. What's your favorite? What's your drug of choice, Jason? What's your favorite? Oh, weed. Yeah. Forever and always. Right, right, right. D- drinking, because it's so ubiquitous and works so well as a social lubricant, is yeah. nice. But I, I could stop that. But I really like weed. Yeah. Have you ever done cocaine? I've always wondered that about you. No, I'm not. I'm not an uppers guy. Yeah. I've done. Uh, I've definitely taken strong opiate pills, which yeah. I enjoyed too much. Yeah, yeah I remember uh, told these. And uh, <laughs> I've I've never done them unless I was legally prescribed them. <laughs> I just really enjoyed yeah. the time when I had the yeah. prescription. Well, you have such like a anything that affects your like creative output or your ability to train or like work is definitely something you're gonna avoid you have like such a high professional standards oh like, sure i mean the, the like moment that that anything starts to mess with my job it, yeah. it becomes an issue but also at the same time i'm a professional musician so yeah. it's i i can come to a rehearsal high and know all of the music play it backwards and forwards like it's not a particularly big problem yeah that's for sure what about you miracle jones i like getting high every once in a while just for like the checking in with like a metaphysical see state. see what it's up to yeah yeah because yeah. it's like i used to uh at least in austin you have to do it every once in a while because sure, it's, like, it's just everywhere and it's also just like oh that's why people are doing that like you know you you, you, well, you realize like why like yeah, if yeah. i recall correctly in your hometown there was like a big acid phase that oh, everybody yeah, went yeah, into yeah, yeah, which yeah. i have never i've taken mushrooms before yeah. but i've never actually tripped on acid yeah, it's acid my like, one drug that i haven't done yet that i would like to it's, do my high school experience is very strange for that reason because it's like we had just acid everywhere there were no, like, wow. the <laughs> stories that i've heard about this are out of control yeah it was just like maybe it was just a houston acid and x like they were just like permit you know it was easier to get than when i was when i graduated college right there was a kind of an uptick in the like uh the club scene and yeah. so like some friends of mine who went to college where they would go out to like like the limelight was a thing, and then sure, like Twilo yeah. was a thing, and then like like and and I think the drugs at the time were um, ecstasy, and then like ketamine. Sure. <laughs> yeah, um, I know all about that. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so like completely str- like and so like it was a weird thing where I had to be like I was straight edge, but I was I but I whatever I wanted to do the club scene. I like yeah. I like dancing. Sorry, that was the thing. Like cause it was really hard for me to figure yeah, that. Haven't done drugs, but you like dancing. Yeah, well you know. Get it? Again. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not white. So. A man of, of paradox. <laughs> yeah. So, but at some point, like there are these guys, and you know, I was, I was waiting around, and we were all getting ready to go to the thing, and like the people I was with were so high they didn't know how to cook down the ketamine. So at some point, I found myself cooking down ketamine so these guys could snort it, and I was just like, "Ah, uh, dude." You're a hero. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and I think that was my that was my last day. I was like, I, I'm out. I'm out. I got to find a new group of friends. I'm done. My my, no. my whole bra my roommates were such my friends. Oh, out of close control. friends. Like they still are. Like some my barometer is like totally weird. Like I I've never encountered anybody as like 
into drugs and like successful kind of successful they're living a life like while still like you know being there's, there's there's actually a few of us you've you've picked a number of functioning druggies to be I love functioning druggies. <laughs> they're great I, what, what can I say I just have no problem with it. I mean I guess I just I don't know there's something yeah I think I, I'm more drawn toward alcoholics yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. alcoholics I mean are, they're they're great too I I was just yet. on tour with a band in Russia I know a thing too about <laughs> alcoholics <laughs> the drugs that I do and I've done like maybe people I knew people that weren't better off for the drugs but no one's life was destroyed yeah. whereas I you know I when you're at Berkeley the the guys that college are in music by the way not you oh yeah yeah you have to clarify there Berkeley yeah. College of Music that's where Jason went to school um you know <laughs> there were guys there that in the uh, music production department that uh they had to be in class all day and then do their studio projects all night and they turned to uppers in order to like get yeah. through that process, and it ended up really fucking up. They they, they dropped out of school because they got more into coke than they were into uh, their work, uh, and you know like and also I have anxiety, so cocaine, methamphetamines, yeah, any sort of uppers, not for me whatsoever. I think it would just I'm like a hummingbird. I think it would just stop. My oh heart. yeah, I don't. I would die. Like I don't need my verbal center activated. I need to be shut down like a robot. <laughs> some sort of like delightful trank. <laughs> I, I, I smoked opium some in college. Some friends of mine got a hold of a big chunk of it, and it was around for a while. And it's it's nice, but the whole time it feels super dangerous because it's opium. Yeah. And it's not like weed got real good in the last like ten fifteen why years. Yeah, why so weed? why not just go with the safer alternative that's not gonna possibly make you throw up if you smoke too much of it or whatever else. Um, I get I get chronic kidney stones, right? So several times in my life uh I found myself in a hospital getting shot full of like morphine or dilaudid or like the strongest like yeah. opiates you can get shot full of. And it's amazing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. It's great. I've been prescribed it too for that. And it's just like it's it's amazing. Like I don't there's no other drug as good. Like, oh yeah, the there's the, the opiate crisis makes perfect sense. Totally, totally especially makes sense. in a world yeah. where pot is still illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting hugged on the inside, my <laughs> god. Everything's okay. Like it's not it's not even like it's not a feeling, it's like just a fact. It's like, oh, I did not know this. <laughs> I was laboring under the misapprehension that everything wasn't okay. But in fact, <laughs> no, it's totally it's, fine. It's, it's, everything in the world is totally fine, and I have been chosen to be hugged by God. And then it kind of goes away. Yeah, but, and you're like, oh, let me get some more of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I could totally do this again the next week, and then you're doing it every day. So, other than cost, like, yeah. and let's say legality, right? Like, and let's say quality, like you're worried about quality. Like, would there be a drug other than, say, something like weed that you would do more regularly? If it were cheap. If I had... And legal. If I had more access to it, I definitely would have tried LSD by now. And I would probably do shrooms on a more regular basis. But as of now, I do it, like, once every three years. So I might do it, like, once a year or once every six months. That might become, like, my birthday thing, is I'd, I'll trip balls for my birthday, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, but, I don't know. I mean, I can't... I'm pretty sure, from what I've heard, 
heroin is as good as it needs to be to destroy your life. <laughs> yeah, that's I don't, thing. I don't know yeah. how much better or legal it could possibly yeah, get yeah, yeah, to, yeah. like, actually make it tempting. In a drug that's point. so, like, pleasurable that makes you, like, lose consciousness. Like, where do you go from that? <laughs> It's like, you know, like, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> Are there, like, drugs from your experience that you would be like, okay, yeah, this is, like, definitely should be illegal. All up, I mean, all uppers, in my opinion. Like, oh, I, for I'm sure. just like I because of the social cost. <laughs> like I hate being around people on cocaine oh. or like meth. Fucking worse. Meth, meth is fucking, fucking hate worse. Them. And meth it's like is, it would it would. No, cocaine it, is meth. Socially yeah. changes people's personalities. Yeah, like, it's like weed dry, makes uh, people slightly more lazy and tired than they already are. Yeah. Whereas, like, drugs like crack cocaine, methamphetamines, cocaine, it changes who the person is on, like, a weird fun. And people are going to do it anyway, so, I mean, you know, I don't think the sentencing should be as insane as it is, obviously. Oh, of course not. But, I mean, I still think, I would argue still for decriminalization. Yeah, absolutely. Decriminalization probably of everything and treatment, but Jesus Christ, if you're, I don't know, it's just such a pain in the ass to be around. I would hate it to be, for it to be ubiquitous and just, like, legal. You, I think there's an identity politics to drugs that is, like, not sufficiently understood on the left. Finding a way to being, to see drug addicts as, like, a special protected class and bring them in and see them as needing, like, these rights is important, I think. Like, they need to, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know how you do that effectively in a legislative sense or to make people realize that this is, like, it's an illness. It's, like, something you're born with. Like, becoming, like, addicted to something like a opiate like that is clearly like a biochemical thing like eventually mm. this opiate's gonna find you you're gonna do it and you're gonna seek out harder and harder versions of it because there's some something in your brain that needs that to happen but i mean like we we've already done this with alcohol you know like sure. just it's everywhere and cigarettes too yeah and cigarettes as well. I, I mean it, keeping them legal has been part of the way that we have we have the smallest percentage of our population smoking that we have since the tobacco industry began. In the yeah, first place. I think I think there's something like, making sure drugs are not seen as like super cool is important because they're not like hang out with dry addicts can be very tired no, for sure <laughs> and very you know but also like understanding that. I, I, I think the big part of it is like I can state beyond a shadow of a doubt because I had a conversation with my dad and I was like look a pothead is not going out at 2 o'clock in the morning and shooting convenience store clerk in the head to get the cash out of the register in order to score another gram, right? Yeah. And his response was, well, I don't know that. So there is such a, a misleading perception of drugs perpetrated by our government that m makes it hugely problematic. That we've that The first thing that we need to do is decriminalize all drugs, and then I would say the second thing is stop pretending like some drugs are actually worse than they actually are. Yeah. That it's a... Meeting I think it's at a, actual level. Of yeah, it's, yeah, it's... it's. I mean, weed can have problems. We, people smoke too much of it. Yeah. Uh, it can fuck with their lives in ways that maybe they... W it wouldn't have been fucked with if they didn't start smoking weed. But it is not on the same page as cocaine. And when we describe it as being on the same page, then when people try that weed, they're like, well, what the fuck else is the government lying to me about? So I, um... Uh, there was a study released that, uh, in general, some of the there isn't a lot of like long-term studies done on like how 
regular smoking of weed kind of affects your brain, but it seems like that, and when, if you start young and you regularly yeah. smoke weed, like, it makes uh, memory formation difficult in your middle age. Uh, apparently, though, if you smoke weed when you're older, it makes it easier. <laughs> there you go. You're in the clear. <laughs> yeah. so well, I mean, when they say older, like, 70 or later, so, like, it's a good way to, like, uh, like, uh, they're thinking may, it may or may not be in a way to stave off the effects of dementia huh. or aging. I'm, I'm uh, not dead. That makes sense. And it's like, it and so I was just thinking, it's like kind of the. Per- and when I read this, I think I sent it to my sister. I don't remember, but like, it's kind of the perfect drug for my dad, who's mm-hmm. like facing a lot of like, uh, like elderly anxiety as well as like his memories just starting to slip, which means it's not like, it's a, uh, it's like you can see him struggle for a couple of things. So like. Yeah, it's like the, like I'm thinking weed is kind of the perfect drug for my dad right you now. You do, do it together. I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll hang out with you. I'll get, I'll get the rest. I'll, I'll, I'll look you up for sure. Yeah, Jason, um, Jason knows as a fine source. No, I mean, that's that's also one of uh, the important things about the at least temporary pushback against the war on drugs. We'll see what happens with Attorney General Sessions. But uh, the... What's the man like, who the sentencing for treason, by the way? Let's <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out tomorrow. At, at, at the end of the day, like, every drug has probably some positive aspects and some negative aspects, and we have never done a good job of honestly analyzing them. So people that are super pro-pot... It's been illegal to analyze them. Sure, exactly. The government so has said that you cannot... Pe- people that are pro-pot, they think That's that, crazy. like, oh, pot is going to give me supervision and cure my cancer, yeah. and the people that are against it are like, it's going to rot my brains, they're going to leak out of my yeah. ears, it's and gonna then it's going to... Con- <laughs> it's uh, so this has been episode 18 hey, of Room of Requirement. Thanks, everyone, Next for episode, listening. we get high with Camelush and his dad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Uh, check us out on iTunes, etc., etc. Um, and thanks, for, thanks to Jason for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been a great time. I highly recommend anybody else invited to the podcast to, to take them up on it. Oh, shit, yeah. Absolutely. And then, uh, and uh, thanks for to Kevin Carter for producing our outro music. Oh, he's a great guy. Oh, and Mad Meg, where can you get your new album? Uh, because we are in negotiations with a label, it is not currently available online. Oh, but if you so <laughs> if you stay tuned to jasonscottlaney.com, uh, I'll post stuff. Are there any of your songs on YouTube or anything like that? My like my personal yeah, yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah. You can also find those oh, yeah, at jasonscottlaney.com. Yeah, Jason yeah, song John, yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. All right.